0: Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Titus chapter 1, Titus chapter 1. We began, last week we began looking at this letter from written by the Apostle Paul to his ministry partner, a man named Titus. And here in this letter, Paul gives Titus, his ministry partner, um, counsel about how to help some young churches on the island of Crete, And we saw last week that the first thing he tells Titus to do is appoint godly elders, godly pastors to shepherd the congregations. We looked at the list of qualifications that that Paul lays out there for elder candidates. And the very last item on the list was the ability to teach sound doctrine and refute error. And today's passage explains why Refuting error was such an urgent need. There were teachers in the, in the young churches there spreading error, teaching false doctrine. And so here in, in this text today, Titus 1, verses 10 to 16, Paul instructs Titus and really the church who is listening in about how to recognize and deal with false teachers. And, and you'll hear in a moment as I read the passage that Paul gets a little spicy here. He doesn't pull any punches, and it's not because Paul has some axe to grind with these individuals, it's because the situation is so serious. And so I invite you to follow along, it's page 998 in the Pew Bibles, if you want to use uh, follow along there, it's also printed in your bulletin, Titus chapter 1, verses 10 to 16. So right after Paul says elders need to instruct in sound doctrine and refute error, he says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Our God and Father, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that you would help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear Uh, your good instruction here in Titus. Would you help us to receive this as your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Often when I log into my bank's website, right there on the dashboard is some information about how to protect yourself against um, identity theft and and other internet scams, and and I typically don't pay much attention to it. You know, I'm a former software engineer. I consider myself fairly um, uh, discerning about these kinds of scams. I know how these things work, Um, but a while back received an email from my bank about some potential uh, suspicious activity in my account. And, and the email looked authentic. I mean, it, it had the look and feel of other communication I've received from uh, Bank of America. And I was inclined to click on the link there in the email. But when I looked a little more closely, I noticed uh, something was off. The, there was something strange about the URL. The, the customer service phone number was incorrect. And it turns out the email was a fake. And, and I nearly fell for it, even though I know how these things work. I know what to look for. Um, and, and you've probably realized it's getting harder and harder to uh, distinguish between the, the real thing and these scams. And that means it's all the more important to know how to spot some of the red flags. You know, what are the clues that something is, is wrong here? Um, you've got to know what to look for so you don't fall prey to the scammers. Now, I'm not here to give you instruction about how to protect yourself against Internet fraud, but in our passage today, Paul essentially does that. He tells Titus, here's how you're going to spot the scammers. Here's what you need to look for. Here's how to detect false teachers and false teaching. And, And let me just say, as one of your pastors... I would prefer not to have to spend a bunch of time talking about false teachers and false teaching. I'd rather focus, you know, on on sound gospel truths, but you know, sometimes warning is necessary. And that and that's what Paul had said in in the passage from last week about that part of my calling as a pastor is to both teach positively sound doctrine but also to Refute error and warn about error. So both are necessary so that we as Christians don't fall for the scam. So today as we look at this passage, three points. Um, how to spot false teachers. Number two, how to detect false teaching. And then third, how to deal with false teachers and false teaching. So how to spot the false teachers, how to detect false teaching, and then how to deal with those things. And so first, how to spot false teachers. So so Paul warns Titus here in these verses. He says there's troublemakers in the church, and, and you've got to be on the lookout for them. Who, who were these people? Well, Paul says in verse 10, there were many of them. So this is no small problem. Not just one or two, you know, kind of difficult individuals. There are there are many, and and most of them, he says, belong to the circumcision party. Now that sounds strange to us, but that's a shorthand for a, a faction of Jewish Christians in the early church. Um, not all Jewish Christians would have subscribed to this group's um, doctrine, but this group they confessed Jesus as Messiah. That's a good thing but they also insisted that keeping the mosaic law was necessary if you're going to be a true christian if you're going to be a true uh if you're going to belong to the people of god you need to adhere to the mosaic legislation so things like circumcision uh, the the food laws other ceremonial regulations now that's a false gospel and and as you know from other parts of the new testament paul and the other apostles they rejected that view They said, no, uh, faith alone is what counts. What really marks out a true Christian is faith in Jesus Christ and his saving work alone, not Torah observance. And so uh, you have this group teaching error, spreading error, and, and we'll see a little bit more as we go on about what they taught, but how can Titus spot these false teachers and Paul essentially lays out here in this passage the fruit test. The fruit test. You know, you, you look at a tree and you see apples hanging from the branches. You know what kind of tree it is, right? You don't have, you don't have to go get a field guide. You, you see the fruit. And, and Jesus said we would know, we would recognize false teachers by the fruit of their life. You know, their, their character, their behavior, their reputation and the, the the reason is bad theology often equals bad morality the the two often go together and so the the character of the teacher is the first clue that something's off you know do do they exhibit the fruit of the spirit or does their life look more like the works of the flesh and paul mentions here several Several things to look out for. He says there are there are many of these folks, verse 10, they are insubordinate. You know, they're, they're rebellious. They refuse to submit to the authority of God's Word. Now, most false teachers are not going to come right out and say, hey, I, I refuse to submit to the authority of God's Word. I mean, it would be helpful if they did, right? You know, a, a disclaimer at the beginning of their sermons, hey, most of the things I'm about to say contradict Scripture, just so, just so you know. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, they don't do that. Um, they, they refuse to submit to God's Word, and that often looks like rejecting you know, legitimate pastoral authority. They don't want to be accountable to pastoral authority. And in this case, the, uh, that pastoral authority looked like Titus and the, the elders he was to appoint. In the churches, and, and this is why so many false teachers are just self-appointed gurus. You know, they, they don't want to answer to godly Orthodox leaders who will hold them to doctrinal standards. And so you know they just set up a YouTube channel or a podcast, and they have an instant congregation. Uh, so Paul says, they are insubordinate." He goes on in verse 10, they're empty talkers. You know, here's another thing to look for. There's there's lots of words, maybe even um, eloquent speech and, and a polished presentation, but but there's no substance. It's, it's just hollow. You know, it, it's speculation and and nonsense. You know, you you walk away from it going, I really don't even know what that was about. It sounded good, but but I can't even tell you what it was really about. It, it's it's empty. It doesn't build up God's people. It's not what Paul talked about in, in back in the beginning of chapter 1, truth that leads to godliness. It doesn't edify. It doesn't produce, transform lives. So Paul says they're insubordinate, empty talkers. They are, verse 10, deceivers. They intentionally mislead others. And th- this is what is so dangerous about false teachers. It's not just that they personally are wrong, believe wrong things. They, they bring along other people with them into the abyss of, of error. Jesus called them wolves in sheep's clothing. You know They prey on vulnerable people, maybe people who aren't grounded in the faith or, or people who are struggling with certain sins and, and make promises um, to them uh, that if they just follow this teaching, they will be delivered. And it's not just their words that are deceptive, it's also their lives. If you look at verse 16, Paul says, they profess to know God, so there's a lot of God talk, a lot of good talk maybe even, but they deny Him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. They're religious fakes. It's all just a show. Um, they 're one thing on the outside on the outside, but a completely different story on the inside and so Paul goes on you know these these deceivers he says are in it for the prophet verse eleven they they teach things they ought not to teach, and they do it for shameful gain he says they're they 're motivated by greed and so Look, this should be obvious, but if any kind of Bible teacher you're, you're listening to is always talking about money, um, if he or she owns a private jet or, or maybe a multi-million dollar mansion, um, those are red flags. Uh, and may, maybe there's some reason, explainable reason that they, that they own those things. But look, if the focus is money, that is just screaming to you, something is wrong here you know that that saying follow the money it gets overused but but in this case it's wise and so paul you know he kind of lays out some of these these things to look for to titus and then you notice what he does in verse 12 he he quotes a bit of cultural commentary in support of his assessment of these people and and their character um, he quotes a line from a man named Epimenides from the 6th century BC. He was a, a poet from Crete, uh, regarded by many of his contemporaries as a prophet. And, and this is what he says, verse 12, Cretans, remember Titus is ministering on the island of Crete, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Now, it's kind of interesting, a Cretan saying all Cretans are liars. <laughs> is this statement true or false? But, but Cretan culture did, in fact, have an unsavory reputation in the, in the ancient world. And I won't go into details, but, it, but in the Greek world, there was and that meant to lie. And so Paul says, look, this testimony, even one of your own, has said it. This testimony is true at least in the case of the false teachers. They're, they're living up to the stereotype. Um, their corrupt character shows who they really are. They, they aren't true servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are false teachers. And so, you know, here's why the fruit test is important. You know, error is not always obvious. You know, it's not always right there on the surface, easy to detect. Sometimes it's It's subtle, it can take time to kind of parse through all the different things to figure out, hey, something's off here. And so we need to pay attention not just to a teacher's words, that's important to do, but also to their lives, who they are. You know, what kind of reputation do they have? You know, is their name associated with financial scandals or, or sexual scandals? You know, if their name is always in the headlines, you know, you, you log on to your news website and there's that, there's that teacher again, it's probably not a good thing. It's probably not a good thing. You know, what kind of character do they have? And this is really the, the problem with the whole Internet and TV preacher thing. Um, you don't know these people you, you don't know what they're like outside of the pulpit. I mean, they're on their YouTube channel. Everything looks so slick and polished and, and, and commendable, but you know, it's, it's easy for them to hide who they really are from the audience. And, and I don't, I'm not trying to be alarmist here or anything, um, but, but you need to be especially leery about folks you come across on the Internet, just you know, these, these random people who have a podcast or, or something. You know, the, the less you know about a teacher, the more cautious you need to be. And so how do you spot false teachers? Well, Paul says, use the fruit test. What, what is their character? What is the, their life? What does it say? Are there, are there red flags? And if so, steer clear. You know, a, a dynamic personality is not a substitute for godly character. A a national teaching ministry or or a publishing ministry does not mean the person is trustworthy. Look at their life. Does their life contradict what Scripture says the life of a a godly teacher ought to look like? So that's the the first thing, how to spot false teachers. Um, Second, how to detect false teaching. So now not, not looking for the people so much as as the actual uh, what they teach. And, and Paul doesn't go into detail here about the, the bad doctrine being peddled in the churches on Crete, but he, he does say in verse 14, he says that this error that's being spread, it involved um, two things. Jewish myths, number one, and number two, commands of people who turn away from the truth. And so... How can you detect false teaching? Two things to look for. I mean, if we were to bring in other parts of Scripture, there'd be you know 50 things to look for. But, but two things Paul highlights here. And, and number one, false teaching often minimizes Jesus and his gospel. See, false teaching often minimizes the person and work of Jesus Christ. The, the false teachers in Crete, they were fixated on what Paul calls Jewish myths. And, and elsewhere in Titus and First and Second Timothy, Paul connects these myths to um, foolish controversies, genealogies, arguments about words, and just just trivia. He's not, he's not talking about the Old Testament. He's not talking about the Hebrew Bible, but, but these extra-biblical stories that kind of have sprung up over the centuries. There's a lot of them, a lot of legends about various biblical figures. And we still have some of these writings. And and they're just, you know, fantastical stories and, and details about Moses' genealogy and so forth, and just endless discussions about obscure details related to the old covenant system. And and so for these teachers, if if Jesus featured at all in their teaching, it's like he's just a footnote. And so it's a far cry from what Paul said. You know, the center of his preaching was. We we heard it earlier from First Corinthians 15. Paul says, "Look, this is the central focus of the Christian message: that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Christ rose from the dead, according to the Scriptures." And so, a, a, you know, a good question to ask yourself is as your You're trying to be discerning people and and people who listen to sound teaching, not error. Uh, A good question to ask yourself about any, you know, teaching or doctrinal system you're exposed to is is this. You know, is Jesus central to this? Is his life, death, and resurrection and, and second coming, is it the key to it all? You know, if you take Jesus out of this, does it all still hang together and work? You know, if so, uh, it's not sound doctrine. It, it's error. And so, you know, we have the obvious examples. You can think of the, the cults that deny that Jesus is God in human flesh and instead relegate him to, you know, the status of a mere teacher or a prophet or, or a high ranking angel or something like that. that. That's the obvious, you know, example. But minimizing Jesus can be a little more subtle. You know, there's there's majoring on the minors. Uh, you know, fixating, teaching that just fixates on, you know, angels and demons and, and blood moons and the identity of the Nephilim as if, you know, that's the key to everything. If you just get who the Nephilim are, you're going to be in good shape, you know, it's It's teaching that gets you all worked up and excited about things that, that really in the grand scheme of things don't matter. It's just trivia. It's irrelevant. A lot of it's even just flat out wrong. It's, it's speculative. You know, as a as a young Christian, I fell for this kind of thing. You know, as a, a newer Christian, uh interested in the Bible, and some some of some of my friends were newer Christians interested in the Bible. Um we we bought and watched a, a video series, and it was actually on VHS tape. Some of you know what that is. But it's this this video series on secret codes in the Bible and, you know, real dramatic music and this, you know, kind of um, real professional uh, speaker. And this teacher had an elaborate system of, of counting um, letters and sentences in the Bible and through some convoluted means, you know, he would translate it all into hidden messages. You know, so if you, if you do all this math and calculation, look, the Bible said Hitler was going to come to power. Look, rock and roll is evil or, or whatever it was. Uh, and, and we were amazed for about three days. <laughs> and then we realized this is just complete nonsense. This is not what the Bible is about. And so, you know, before you jump on the bandwagon of, of some new teaching, you know, ask yourself, is... Does, does what I'm hearing, does this system, this, this teacher and what he or she is teaching, does, does it deepen my understanding of and love for Jesus? Uh, does it help me trust him? Does it help me follow him? Um, does it wow me with Christ's love and grace? Or does it just kind of, you know, wow me with, with weird things? Beware of teaching that minimizes Jesus and his gospel. That, that's the first thing to look for. Um, second thing to look for, how to detect false teaching. False teaching often emphasizes legalistic rules for behavior. Legalistic rules for behavior. Paul says about these false teachers that they were peddling commands of people. In other words, man-made rules, not Not divine commands, not not expounding what God has laid out in Scripture, but man-made ethical codes. Um, There was a time where etiquette books were all the rage. It probably died out sometime in the 60s. I I was looking at one recently from the 19th century. Um, It it was titled, The Lady's Book of Etiquette and Manual of Politeness. And then the subtitle, a complete handbook for the use of the lady in polite society. And it goes on, containing full directions for correct manners, dress, deportment, and conversation, rules for the duties of both hostess and guest in morning receptions, dinner companies, visiting, evening parties, and balls. It's not done yet. A complete guide for letter writing and cards of compliment. Hints of managing servants on the preservation of health and on accomplishments. And also, useful receipts for the complexion and hair and with hints and directions for the care of the wardrobe. Uh, it's pretty thorough. Um, you know, and, and I just kind of skimmed the individual chapters and, and each chapter is just detailed directions for how to behave in any given situation, anything that could you know conceivably come your way. And and apparently these false teachers had had developed something like this. Uh, A system of rules, not dealing with etiquette, but, but ritual purity. You know, uh, uh, avoiding certain foods. And Paul talks about this elsewhere in, in Colossians and 1 and Timothy, teachers who, who advocate abstaining from certain foods, not because they were bad for your health, but because they said they would make you ritually impure, you know, keeping kosher. And so Paul asserts in verse 15, um, in light of these teachers who just peddle commands of men, he says to the pure, all things are pure." The pure are those who have been spiritually purified by the blood of Christ. And, and for them, Paul says, all things are pure. You know, he's, he's echoing Jesus' teaching here that all foods, Jesus declared all foods clean. There, there's no need to fear for the Christian. There's no need to fear being defiled by what you eat. I mean, it, it might be unhealthy for you, but it is not going to make you defiled before God. And, and in fact, for the Christian, Ritual purity doesn't even matter now that Christ has come, right? It's irrelevant. Uh, We know that true purity does not come from avoiding certain foods. It comes through faith in Christ alone. And so Paul says, you know, to the pure all things are pure. On the other hand, the false teachers, Paul says, they, they do not know the freedom that Christ brings. He says their mind, their conscience is defiled not by food but by their sin and unbelief and their rules as elaborate as their system is it cannot make them pure before god you know we we can come up with with as many rules as we would like for behavior they cannot make us clean only the work of jesus christ can and so, you know, kosher food laws are probably not an issue for, for most of us here in the room. That, that's not, you know, a, a danger for us to begin thinking that we're going to make ourselves pure before God by what we eat. But, but I want to say, beware of man-made rules about what you must or must not do to be a good Christian. You see, um, we, we come up with our own systems, our own Commands of of people, you know, you you must give a certain amount to your church. Um, you must educate your kids a certain way. You you must read your Bible and pray for you know whatever twenty minutes a day. Uh, you know the old uh, saying: Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls who do. Um, Maybe it's wise advice, I don't know. (laughs) As a system to point out who's a true Christian and not, it's terrible, it's error. Um, You know, no movies, no dancing, no makeup. Uh, Women, your skirt must be no shorter than than X. Men, your hair must not be longer than whatever. Um, Now, these are areas of Christian freedom, uh, not divine law. And you know, false teaching, it, it just focuses on these things. And it, it creates legalistic burdens. It, false teaching is all about the external. And, and it, it lets rules eclipse grace. And really, false teaching is enslaving in contrast to the Gospel that that brings freedom. The, the Gospel says to us that that we're made pure in God's sight by the work of Jesus Christ. It says that we're righteous before God through faith in Christ, not obedience to legalistic rules, not by just living the way that that individual says you ought to. The, the gospel frees us to rest in Jesus' righteousness, not what other people think about us and how righteous we are. It, it frees us even to reject those man-made codes of conduct and frees us to, to obey God out of love, you know, in response to his grace not not to try to make ourselves acceptable to him. So how can you detect false teaching? Um, two things to look for. Often it minimizes the gospel and emphasizes rules over grace. Well, third, how to deal with false teachers and false teaching. What, what needs to be done? It's good to know what to look for. It's, it's good to know how to spot it. Um, what should be done about it when it's making the rounds in the church? and, and Paul here tells Titus two things, and, and really his, his directions here uh, apply primarily to to Titus and the elders of the churches. Um, they need to take action about this. And you know the, the temptation for us as pastors is to just kind of keep the peace. you know don't don't ruffle the feathers. Usually, people who are teaching error are not very um, pleasant to be around, and so we know it's going to be a long, drawn-out argument. And um, you know, we want to avoid conflict. Um, I, I don't think most of, I don't think any of your elders here, you know, take pleasure in confronting error. But Paul says it has to be done. It has to be done. And so he says two things. Uh, number one, stop the spread. Stop the spread. He says in verse 11, they must be silenced. And, and maybe that sounds harsh to you. You know, maybe it confirms what you suspected, that, that Christian churches are just kind of closed-minded and authoritarian. And you know, for us as Americans living in a, in a nation that, that has freedom of speech just kind of enshrined into the Constitution, um, muzzling someone, which is how uh, Paul's words here could be translated, muzzling someone doesn't sit well with us. But you need to realize false doctrine destroys lives it's not just a matter of difference of opinion it destroys lives even whole families paul says in verse 11 he says they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach and families here might actually be you know family units domestic units it could even be households in the in the sense of household churches either way the the impact of this teaching is is division, it's confusion, it's animosity, it's it's suspicion, it's it's people Christian people who should be united in Christ turning on each other. And Paul says it has to be dealt with. You can't just let it continue to make the rounds. It's like you know a aggressive cancer. Left unchecked, it will spread. Quickly, So Paul says, silence them. Uh, he doesn't say how, presumably by countering their arguments. Later in chapter 3, he'll talk about church discipline. But he says, silence them. And then secondly, he says, set them straight. Verse 13, he tells Titus, rebuke them sharply. It's a very strong word, and then he even adds to it sharply, <laughs> meaning uh, Titus and the elders need to be firm here. They need to take this seriously. They need to be strong in their confrontation of the, of the false teachers. This is not a time for kid gloves. Um, souls are at stake. The, the unity of the church is at stake. Now, realize, there is a difference between a false teacher and, and someone who simply needs better instruction. You know, there is a difference between a a church member who just deliberately spreads error and seeks to influence other people and and undermine pastoral authority. Uh, They need a firm rebuke, as Paul says. Uh, But on the other hand, you know, a church member who's maybe just never been taught well um, or is just kind of confused on a certain point of doctrine, uh, they just they need gentle instruction, not a hammer blow. Not a hammer blow. Also, keep in mind, not every issue is a matter of orthodoxy versus heresy. Uh, you know, we kind of get worked up, especially on the things that we believe and hold dearly, but not all of them are first level issues. You know, there are certain, you know, top tier first level issues that are at the, the heart of the Christian faith. You know, the, the kinds of things confessed in the in church's ancient creeds. You know, the, the Trinity, the deity of Christ, His his incarnation, death, resurrection, salvation by grace through faith alone. You know, there, there's no wiggle room allowed on those things. You know, you, you either believe what is historic Christianity, orthodox doctrine, or you're in error on these things. You know, you mess with those doctrines and you've moved into the realm of heresy. But there are other, you know, uh, secondary things, secondary doctrines, even tertiary doctrines over which Christians can legitimately disagree. Um, you know, there's things, and, and maybe you don't think so, but there, there are things like believer's baptism versus infant baptism. You know, the, the millennium, the Sabbath, uh, political issues, areas of Christian liberty. Um, there, Christians will come to different conclusions on some of these things. Uh, And sometimes that results in different denominations who who see things differently from each other. But it's not an issue of orthodoxy versus heresy. And so, you know, we shouldn't go on Twitter and just start calling each other heretics over these kinds of things. You know, it it belittles what the real issues are and it it really harms the unity of the, the broader church. But with all that said, Uh, deviation on on these first-level doctrines. Um, It needs to be met with a pastoral rebuke, Paul says. What's the goal? What's the goal? Why silence the false teachers? Why rebuke them and perhaps those who are following them? Why? And and I think Paul says something, or it's surprising to me, verse 13, He says, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Interesting. The the goal, Paul says, is restoration. Soundness, that they may be sound in the faith, the Christian faith. Soundness, that word could be translated healthy, maybe even whole. That is the goal. You know, the, the teaching needs to be stopped. The, the people who are in error need to be rebuked and corrected so that they will be restored to wholeness and soundness in the Christian faith. And so distinguishing between truth and error, it's not just an academic debate. And, and maybe some of you are sitting here thinking, well, yeah, that, that's great, all this stuff about doctrine and false doctrine. That's great for the theology nerds, but, but that's not me. No, this, this issue it's, it's for all Christians. You see, error kills. Error kills. Destroys families, destroys churches, sucks the life out of a church. Error leads people away from a, a pure and simple devotion to Jesus Christ. On the other hand, sound Gospel doctrine, and Paul's going to talk more in Titus about sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, Gospel doctrine produces healthy flourishing gospel communities it produces a flourishing church it produces beautiful flourishing Christian lives that that 's why this issue matters it's not just about well I want to prove that person wrong it's about healthy churches and healthy Christians so let me let me Wrap this up for you. Um, Some of you are familiar with the idea of cage stage Calvinism. It's kind of a tongue in cheek uh, thing, but you know it it describes a person who's new to Reformed theology, and they're just you know they're so excited about doctrine and and truth, you know, and they've got the T-shirt that you know picture of John Calvin. John Calvin's my homeboy, and and you know it's just all about doctrine. But you know, those who know them don't like to spend time around them because they're so arrogant and, and argumentative and, and they think they know everything and they're just always engaged in theological witch hunts. You know, just, just every little detail has to be correct. And the joke is that it's, it's best to lock them up in a cage so they don't cause harm to, to others. You know, just let them sit there in the cage and kind of calm down for a year or two and, and mature a bit, and then and then you can release them out back into the church. Um, it's a caricature, but sadly, you know, it's often true of people in churches like ours that take theology seriously. Uh, and so I, I want to appeal to you, you know, Let's be passionate about sound doctrine. Uh, Let's take good theology seriously, and and we do, and I I know that you do, Um, but not simply so we can win arguments. Not so we can just sit here on a Sunday morning, smug in our pews, thinking we've got it all right, and all those foolish people out there have it wrong. Um, Paul says in chapter 3 about us, including himself, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions. We, of all people, know what it's like to be wrong, to be lost, to be stuck in error and unbelief and sin. And Paul says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. And then he goes on to say, so that being justified by His grace, we might." there's that great doctrine, so that justi- being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, let's be passionate about doctrine because we ourselves have experienced the life-giving power of the truth of the Gospel. And, and, and we ourselves know it. We want others to know it. We want to rejoice in the grace of God as it's declared to us in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Our God and Father, we ask that You would indeed make us discerning people. That You would help us not to be naive and, and easily led astray Would You help us, Lord, to stand firmly in the grace of God, in the Gospel, in the truth of the Gospel of Jesus, God in human flesh who died for our sins and was raised for our justification. Lord, would You help us to be people who are just so um, wowed by Your grace that You would lead us out of error into the truth that, that we're humble, that we're joyful, that we're full of life and vitality because of your gospel, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.